I got 10 points tonight on worship, and, and I'm only going to do two of them, all right? So give me a few minutes. We will still get you guys out of here real early, nice and early tonight. But, but give me a few minutes to, uh, uh, I got a whole chapter too, and, 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 and like I said, 10 points on the idea of worship in the life of a believer. You know, I think, I think it's important to point out, and, and really, maybe some of you feel this way, maybe some of you don't. Some of you might have come from a church where, you know, every service is rock and roll like this, and then it's dance, and it's, it's rap music, and it's whatever. Maybe some of you came from a church where it's hymnals, and it's a, it's a church organ, and, and, and the drums are like of the devil, and, and the guitar is of the devil. And if you are from that class or that school, let me just tell you, those things are not from the devil. They're from Guitar Center. And they weren't cheap. No, no, really, in, in Psalms 150, God, God lays it out for us that we're to worship Him. And I want you to read Psalm 150 if you struggle with any of that stuff. Now, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody here like that, but if that's you, read Psalm 150 for me. I'm not going to take time to do it tonight, but it lays out very clearly that we're to worship the Lord. There's a prescription for worship, and it's with stringed instruments, and with, with the lute, and the harp, and the, and the lyre, and the flute, and, the, and, and percussion instruments, and on, and on, and on, and on, and dance, and all these things. And let everything that hath breath praise the Lord, it says in Psalm 150. And we have this amazing story in the Old Testament, kind of nestled in the middle of a, of a book you probably maybe never even read, Second Chronicles. And it's the Chronicles of the Kings. And I thought it was kind of appropriate as we're going in our country through a changing of the guard from one king or president to another and, and, and half the nation is freaking out and, and half the nation is excited or, or glad about the choice that was made. And, and, and so one of the things that we see in Israel and if you study the, the history of Israel, so we start like in Kings and Chronicles and different, you know, these historical books through, through the Old Testament. God raised up, and there was actually, the, the, the kingdom of Israel, as we know, was split, right, into two parts. We had ten tribes that went to the north, and two tribes that stayed in the south. And, and they had different kings. And the north never had a good king in all of that Old Testament history of Israel, not one. In the south, in the area of, of Jerusalem, Judah, Israel, we, we had several good kings through the history. And, and the nation would go as the king went, coincidentally or, or, or by design, that we would have a good king. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. He went and he tore down all the high places of the idols and the Baal worship and the, the pagan worship. And he got rid of all that stuff in the house of God. He reinstituted worship. And, and he began to, to, to have the people and teach the people to serve the living God. And, and as he did that, the nation began to prosper and the nation began to grow under the leadership of Jehoshaphat. And then again, through, through Israel's history, a bad king would come in and he would set up foreign gods and idols and pagan worship. And, and, and again, the, the, his, the, the nation would again go into decline. And, and so here we are in the middle of this kind of up and down history of Israel with, with good kings and bad kings in the south. And here we find ourselves in the south with this king named Jehoshaphat. And, and basically, uh, and again, I'm going to move really fast through some of this stuff. I got to cut it all. I got to cut eight of my points on just the worship part. That wasn't even the setup part. So so in, in chapter 20, if you have your phones, your Bible, well, your Bible's going to do you sitting on your lap in the dark. But if you have your phone, light it up. I'm in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and it says, It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others besides them, the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So three nations came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, in, in, in the Old Testament, a spiritual battle... Or a physical battle of armies and swords and, and real blood and real Braveheart type fighting. 
Those were the battles of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and other writers takes those same battles that we see in the Old Testament and he paints a picture with them in the New Testament. Those are the same battles that we fight today, but we don't fight them with physical swords and weapons that we fight them in, in the spirit and they're spiritual battles. But these battles represent those spiritual battles. And I know in our lives, sometimes we go through battles and sometimes it feels like it, when it rains, it pours. And if one trial and one battle or one attack in your life is not bad enough, then here comes the second one. And before you can even unpack the second one, you're hit with the third one. And here's where Jehoshaphat finds himself, three opposing armies coming at him from three different directions. They're coming in. There is no chance, physical chance, that Israel is going to win this fight. And so Jehoshaphat, it says in verse number 2, it says, then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, hey, Jehoshaphat, check it out. A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in, in Hazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat, listen, he feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout of all of Judah. He didn't know what else to do. You know, in some occasions in, in, in Jewish history, in Israel's history, you read through the Old Testament. And what the king did was he said, all right, cool. They're coming to fight. Get, get the army ready and let's go fight. And, and hopefully they would stop. They would seek the Lord. They would, they would um, ask God to go before him in battle. But it wasn't like the end of the world. It, was, it, was, it even says that there was a season where the kings would go out to battle. So it wasn't totally abnormal for the king to say, okay, let's go fight. They, they showed up to fight and it's time. It's battle. Let, let's go fight. But he didn't do that. There, there was no chance he was going to win this fight today. And, and, and rather than freak out, and, and he went, it says, and he set himself towards the Lord. And he faced God, and he set himself to seek the Lord. Throwing stuff at my wife. Should I keep throwing stuff at you? At least the first one was a checkbook. It fell out of my Bible. And it says in verse 4, don't worry, you'll, you play basketball with that check, but I ain't going to take you much farther than that. It says in verse 4, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. And so we, we just have this amazing story of Judah who, who gathers the city together, and they're going to seek the Lord together. They're going to pray. Well, what do you mean they're going to pray? There, there's people coming to kill them. They're going to pray. Didn't they get some weapons and, 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 and prepare? Well, well, at some point, maybe that's what we should do. But in this case, and before we get to that point, it says that they're just going to get together and they're going to seek the Lord and pray. And it says, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the, the new court. We, we find these words in the Bible. Whenever you read the Bible, let me give you a little um, study tip on reading the Bible. Whenever you read the Bible, there's certain words that are repeated four or five times in a chapter, in a section, in three or four verses. And whenever you see that, whenever you see a word that keeps jumping out at you, I always underline them in my Bible. And, as I, and I was just reading through this again today, and, and, and the word stood, stand, stood, stand, kept jumping off the page. And I just started underlining it, that, that there's this idea. And the Bible tells us, right, that in the New Testament, that we should do all we can to stand and then stand therefore. That we stand, we stand, we stand, we stand, and, and we trust the Lord in this life. And we don't cower, we don't run, but we stand and we don't stand in our own strength, but we stand. And here we're going to see Jehoshaphat over and over again. He's going to stand in the presence of the Lord. And it says in verse 6, And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, 
Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nation? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand, withstand you? I'm going to tell you something about your God today in our nation. Number one, here's the reality. The United States is not the only nation that God governs. He loves, he loves the United States just, just as great and, and has greatly used the United States. But, but you know what? God, God, is, God is the king and the ruler of all nations and all kings and all kingdoms. And I just remind myself of that sometimes when I, we're going through these political stages that we are right now. And, and we think that this is, this is the, the only world stage. And, and it's an important one. Don't get me wrong. I love my country. And I believe this is the greatest country in the world. And that God has completely blessed and called the United States to be a light to the rest of the world. But, but he, he, he reigns, it says, and he rules all kingdoms. And Jehoshaphat says, Lord, you set up kings and you take them down and you are the, the, the God of heaven. And then he says in verse eight, and they dwell. I'm sorry, verse seven. And you are not, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it. Have you built your sanctuary in it for your namesakes? They say, he says, aren't you the friend of Abraham. We just finished a series here on Sunday mornings and it was titled friend of God or friend of Jesus. And and, and this idea, does it blow anybody away besides me? Somebody give me an amen just for the heck of it. Amen. Say it like a, say it like a Baptist preacher. Amen. Say it like a, like a pirate. Amen. Or give me a, give me a pirate. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or something. Just keep you guys awake. But the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. The Bible says, you know how, you know how the heavens and the earth were created? God spoke them into existence, the Bible says. He didn't get his hands out and like fashion them, which he did with you. The Bible says he fashioned you. But in the universe, it says he just spoke it into existence. This God-breathing star, this star-breathing God who has this vast universe. I read this scientific report, um, kind of study that I saw it, and, and it was saying that this particular scientist was claiming that that entire universe and galaxy that we live in, God designed it all so exactly perfect just to, to sustain life here on earth. And without all the rest of that stuff, where we live and how we live and how we function with advanced life form would not be possible on planet earth. And God did all of that for this one little rock. And, and, and not only that, but it's only designed to last a certain amount of time. I'm rabbit trailing now. We're not supposed to do that on a short service. So, so this God calls you friend and Jehoshaphat reminds the Lord. You know, you know when, uh, when, when, when God came to heal Lazarus, you know, the people that were the closest to Jesus, when, when they needed a favor... They didn't come to God as you and I do and say, God, I, I, I've really prayed a lot. I'm, I'm trying to be a good person. I, I pay my tithes. I went to the abide service and I brought my grandma's special recipe, apple pie. And Lord, I'm really doing good. Will you, will you bless me? But you know, the people in the Bible that were the closest to Jesus, that walked the closest to Jesus, when they needed a favor, they would come to Jesus and they would say, they would say, Jesus, the disciple whom you love. Not, not that I've done well and I deserve it, but because Jesus, you love me, because you care for me, because you are good, will you bless? And that's what Jehoshaphat says. He reminds the Lord that we're the friend and that God is great and able. And then it goes on and it says, and they will dwell in it. 
And you have built your sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, we will, here's this word again, we will stand before this temple. And in your, and in your presence, your name is in this temple. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And that's a declaration that Jehoshaphat's making in this prayer. And you will hear and you will save a declaration of faith that God's going to show up and do something that only God can do. And once again, God's people are placed in, in, a, in a position that if God doesn't show up and do something miraculous, then, then they're going to die. Have you guys ever been in that spot in your, in your relationship with God? That's like getting on the top of a roof, the Empire State Building, and jumping. And saying, God, okay, if you don't show up before ground zero, it's over. You're going to have to show up and do something amazing. Now, I'm not advocating Anybody jumping off the Empire State Building because God's not going to show up and do anything amazing. You're going to fly for a while, but that'll be your last flight. But just kind of a, a way to get your mind to think, is there anything in our lives? And you know what? That's sometimes one of the most amazing places to be in is a place where your life is so radical for Jesus. And, and you, you've stepped out in faith so much that God is going to have to show up and do something miraculous or you're going to die. Or, or it's not going to happen. Or there's not going to be the success that you're looking for and you need. You've given everything. And where, and where are you going to go now? You know, there's, there's multiple stories. There's one in the Bible of a widow. And, and she had a son and she was... A broke, poor widow, and she had used all of her resources to feed her son. And she came down to her last um, cake, her last pancake. And, and about that time, the man Elijah, the prophet Elijah shows up and she says to the prophet Elijah, I, I have nothing left. And this is the truth. She said, I'm going to make my last cake. I'm going to share it with my son. And then we're going to starve to death. We're going to die, literally going to die. And Elijah said, give me the cake. And she said, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Didn't you hear what I just said? This is it. I have, I've re- I have been scraping and working and everything. I've exhausted every resource available. There is none left. I've hit rock bottom. This is what's left to sustain me and my son. When it's gone, we are literally going to starve to death. And you say, give it to you. And Elijah says, give it to the man of God. Give it and bring it to the house of God. And if you do, God will show up and do something miraculous in your life. And so this woman, the story in Kings, as you know, she, she makes the cakes. She makes the pancakes. Hopefully she puts some chocolate chips in them. Probably not. Maybe some peanut butter smothered on top. But probably not. She didn't have those things right. But she gives the cake to Elijah in faith. And then what happens? She died like a couple months later of starvation. And her son, it was miserable. Is that what happened? No. No, it didn't happen at all. God showed up and did something miraculous because of her gift of faith and trusting the Lord with absolutely everything. Jesus stood in a church, just like the one we're in today, different building, different look, people that came in the house of God to worship. And people would come forward and drop their offering in. And there was a woman and she came in and she put less than two pennies in the offering. And Jesus looked at that woman and he looked at all the people there and he said, that woman gave more than anybody else. Because she gave everything that she had and she gave of her, of her sustenance. She gave of her necessity not of her abundance. She's going to leave here today with nothing and have nothing. And, and she, God is going to have to show up in her life and do something miraculous or she's not going to make it. That's how she gave. And, and that's where Jehoshaphat and his, and his people are. And that's where we want to be sometimes and we need to get sometimes. And so Jehoshaphat, again, he begins to pray and it says, 
And now all Judah with their little ones and their wives. Verse 12, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we want to, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. I love that. A, that's a worship song we sing. You guys, let me sing it to you. But our eyes are upon you. Our eyes upon you. Wait, that wasn't good? Do I, do I not make the worship team? <laughs> I'm so tone deaf and broke. Oh my gosh. I'm surprised you guys weren't covering your ears. Now all Judah and the little ones, their wives, their children stood. There's that word again. They, they got together as a family unit as we are here tonight. And they stood before the Lord, the wives, the children, the fathers. And they all got together and they came together as a unit and stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord, here's a good part. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehel, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. So, so amen. So this... This guy gets the word. The church just gathers. Jehoshaphat gathers. And God just speaks to this one guy in the group. And then we, he tells us who he was. Grandma, grandpa, grandpa. So we know who this guy is. But he's just a guy in the assembly that's there, that's obedient, that's seeking the Lord with the crowd. And God gives him the word. And he comes to the assembly. And he tells them that our God will fight for us. And God says, do not be afraid. Our God will fight for us. And over and over and over again. I think there's people today, maybe some people in this room that are afraid. Maybe they're afraid with the times we're living in. They're afraid with the things that are happening in our nation. But the Bible tells us over and over and over again, be, do not be afraid. How many of you guys can, by worrying, change tomorrow? How many of you guys can fix our situation by worrying about it? Nobody? Nobody's got like some cool worry powers? No? That if you worry a lot, you'll change tomorrow? It doesn't happen, right? So the Bible says, do not worry. In verse 16, it says, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. For the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head down, his face to the ground. And Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kehothites and the children of the Korites stood on up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. I love it when God gives us this adjective for how we're to worship and it says loud do you know in Psalm 150, when it's giving the prescription for the way that we're to worship the Lord, it's talking about all those different instruments. When it comes to the symbol, it says the loud symbol. And so here you have this group. And, and, and the Holy Spirit records for us in the word that they praised him with a loud voice. And, and Jehoshaphat praised the Lord with a loud voice and just with joy. And, and what I see in it is I see joy. I see a people that gathered and they sing aloud and they worship the Lord with loud voices, with joy. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that if you're really like excited that don't let anybody know it. 
Like, don't ever show any emotion in, in church or anywhere else about your relationship or your love for God or in your worship of God. Nowhere does it say that. And really, when we see the examples of, of worship in the Bible so many times, we, we get this idea that it was a place where there was joy, where there was this amazing fragrance of joy. You know, my favorite part about Abide is just the worship. It's just, it's just fun to me. I, I enjoy it. It's from my heart. I, I try to make sure that, you know, in, in our worship, that it always comes from my heart. I want to connect with Jesus. Why do we do music? What's the purpose of music? The purpose is for us to connect with God. Music is not something that we do so that those of you who don't get out of bed on time can still make it here before the sermon starts. You know, I know so many people, I, you know, I'll just, I show up like at 930 because that's right when the music ends. And I, you know, I don't need the music. I don't like the music. But, but that's not why we do music. That's not the purpose of music. The music is not to entertain you. Can it be entertaining and fun? Sure, I had a great time tonight. I thought the worship team did an amazing job, right? Amen. And the songs were fun, but, but still, there was a focus from my heart that I wanted to connect. I really wanted to worship Jesus tonight from my heart in spirit and in truth. And there's a power. Listen, this is the message tonight, you guys, in a nutshell, and I'm done. There, there is a power in your Christian life in worship and in praise music and in praising the Lord through music. There really is a biblical truth and a power that you can, that you can release in your life. Some of you don't like that word. And, and, you know, some of you Baptists are like, what are you talking about? Release the power in your life and praise. No, but but it, it is a reality that, that there's something that happens in healing, in life changing when we connect to the Lord. I do have two points. I got to get through them. I'll make them quick um, in, in this idea of worship. This story is really cool. I'm just going to read this last like five verses and then I'm going to wrap it up. So he says, the voice is loud and high. So check it out what Jehoshaphat does. So God gives Jehoshaphat this word that through this guy, the word comes to Jehoshaphat. He says, hey, yes, go out and fight this battle. But listen, you're you're not even going to have to lift a sword in this battle. Your God will fight for you and he will deliver you without ever even having to engage in the fight is the word that Jehoshaphat gets. So Jehoshaphat receives this word from the Lord and then he goes out and now he's the king and he's going to lead the people. And what does he do? It says, so they rose early in the morning and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat, the king, stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty and holiness. And they went before the army and were singing praises Praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. He went and got the choir and put them out in front of the army. He went and took the worship team and he said, hey, okay, guys, gather in. The, the leadership team, we were over here. God gave a word to this brother and he spoke, he encouraged us. And, 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 and God said, we're going to go and fight this battle. We're going to go and show ourselves to this, these people and we're going to step out. And this is what we're going to do. All of you um, trumpet players and saxophone and musicians and all you, you instrument players that, that have never fought a day in your life, you go out in front. And again, they're like, what are you talking about, Willis? Now, now that's crazy. The, 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 this is not like a story. This is not a, a script movie Braveheart that you just write the script. This is real life. And these guys really fought. They really died in the battle. These are real, real fights and people really coming to kill them. And they're going to go out and, and face this army. And they're going to put the worship team. Jehoshaphat comes and he's the king. And he says, okay, worship team, I want you to go out in front. 
There's only one way Jehoshaphat sent the worship team out in front. Because he believed that God was going to deliver him. Otherwise, he was literally committing suicide and murdering everybody on the worship team if he put him out in front with no weapons and instruments to go and lead the army in battle. And he believed the word of, the God, of God so much in his heart and, and he received the word that it was going to come to pass exactly that God said. He didn't doubt at all. He was confident enough that he took the worship team, he put him in front of the army and they went out praising the Lord and singing songs unto the Lord. And it tells us the hymn, the psalm that they were singing as they went into this battle. And now when they, when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who they had come against Judah and they were defeated. So as God did and used the tactic several times in this type of battle in the Old Testament, you know, one of the things about people who follow Satan or whose God is not the Lord, they they don't get along with each other. They fight each other just as much as they fight everybody else. And so God created some kind of um, debate, some kind of, and as they heard their worship music, it says, God didn't bring about the victory until they began to worship the Lord. And as they began to sing worship songs, the enemy army heard it and that triggered it. And God began to create some confusion within the armies and they began to turn on one another and arguing and began to fight with one another. And when when Jehoshaphat and the worship team and the army got up to the top and looked over at the battlefield, there was nothing but dead bodies. God had delivered them supernaturally from this fight and they didn't have to fire an arrow. They didn't have to fire a shot. And, And it was... And it was led and there was power in worship. Two points in worship, okay? Number one, I got ten, I'm only going to do two. The first one is worship defines our fragrance. What does that mean? You guys remember Mary? You do? Hey. Jesus' mother was named Mary. You know, the funny thing about Mary in the Bible is there's so many of them, we can never get them straight. There's like all these different Marys in the Bible. But Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but she, she came and she anointed Jesus' feet with costly oils. And she poured them over his feet, thousands of dollars, dowries worth of oil that was collected. It was very costly and very valuable. And she broke the whole jar and she poured it over Jesus's feet. And she took her hair and she began to wash his feet. And, and, and the disciples and everybody that was in the room there, there created a fragrance that, that, that would have smelt great. And it would have been brought joy to, to the room. And, and worship is the same way. You know, worship, we worship together. And, and even like tonight. We, we, some, some are really engaged and some are really connected and, and, and others not so much, but just the worship itself just makes joy. It makes a fragrance in here that's, that's, you know, it's contagious and it feels good as we worship the Lord together. But you know what happens is you guys leave and, and, and before you get to your car, before you hit the button on your car, you're already angry, you're already mad, you're already bitter at something and, and, and it didn't really affect you. Because the, the reality is that fragrance, when, when the disciples all left that room, that fragrance wasn't with them anymore. But what about Mary? What about Mary when she left that, that, that moment with Jesus? Was that fragrance still upon her? How was it upon her? Because that she used her hair to wipe his feet and she engaged herself in the fragrance of worship. And, and, and so for her, it lasted and it was healing and it was powerful. And some of us come in the church, the reality is the worship does something for everybody else, but maybe not me. 
Because maybe I'm just that too tough guy that just sits there like this the whole time. Stinking Christians. Honey, I told you we should have came 20 minutes later. Stuff would have been over. We could have heard a sermon and gone home. And, and we, never, we, never, we never connect to God ourselves with that fragrance of worship. Raise your hands to the Lord one time. Stand up, pray out, sing, let it, and let it be a matter of the heart. And that, that doesn't make you any more holy than sitting down with your hands crossed. I don't believe that for a second. Because worship is a matter of your heart. It's a matter of connecting with Jesus. But if you make that connection for yourself, then that fragrance of joy, that, that, that worship does something in power in your life. So that was one. Actually, that was four. Now I'm going to skip down to nine. And we'll do nine, and then we're going to, we're going to call it a night. So the first one was it defines our fragrance. And the second one, the last one, the ninth one for tonight, it delights the Father. Worship does something that, that is powerful in each one of our lives. And the second thing is that worship does is it delights the Father. Now, how many of you fathers in here, if your son came up to you, your daughter came to you today and said, Dad, I just want to tell you that you're a good dad. And I really love you. And I'm just so proud of you. And I just, you're such an amazing dad. Like after you picked yourself up off the floor, especially if you got teenagers, right? It, it would make you feel good as a father for your child just to come and say, hey, dad, I love you. Hey, dad, I think you're a really cool dad. Hey, dad, I, I think you did a good job, man. And, and dad, I'm proud of you. And, and dad, I know things aren't perfect, but I love you, dad. And you're, you're a good father. You're a good dad. You, that would just melt your heart. It would just break your heart to hear your son, to hear your children. Now, what if you got like five, ten kids? And they just all came up in sincerity together, like all ten of them, and just meant it, and just said, man, you are the best father. You are the best mother. We love you. you you're amazing. You've done such a great job. Who would not want to hear that? Now, now, keep multiplying that in the church and in worship services all over the world as we gather in different places, and we worship the Lord, and we tell Him, He's a good, good father. Delights the Father, blesses His heart. And there, there is such a power in worship. And so cool this story of this battle that Jehoshaphat first has enough faith and, and enough believe and just enough moxie that he says, man, we're not even going to put the soldiers out front tonight. We're just going to send the worship team out. We're going to follow them into battle. We're going to let the worship team lead us into battle. And that is a spiritual lesson of your life and my life that is, that is put there for a reason that worship leads us into battle. Amen? That's why we do it in the beginning. That's why it's super important. You know, it's not the only time God did it. What about the walls of Jericho? We studied Je uh, the walls of Jericho today. We didn't get to the end of the story, but we studied this morning about Jericho and the walls falling down, right? You guys know the story? Same story. The, the, the army finally shows up in Jericho. And God talks to Joseph or Joshua off on the side. And he says, look, here's the plan. And then Joshua has to go back and tell the people what this amazing battle plan is. And he says, all right, here's a plan. We're going to get the worship team. And we're going to march in a circle around the city. And we're going to sing worship songs. What are you talking about, Willis? Like, that is crazy. Who does that? Nobody does that. This is, this is not stories or fantasy. This is real life stuff. Like, they're going to shoot an arrow over the top. They're going to dump the hot oil that's on fire. We all seen the movie off the wall. And, you know, the stuff's coming down and you're going to die. 
But yet God, over and over and over again, he leads out with worship. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's have the worship team come on up. We're going to close with a song. Um, If you brought a dish tonight, make sure you take it home with you guys. We love you guys. We hope you had a good time tonight. We hope you enjoyed the food and the fellowship. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, just take your dish. We're closing a song. If you need to go, it's 730. So if you need to go during this last song, we totally understand. If you can stick around and worship with us for one more song, we really appreciate it. Let's stand. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you, Father, for, uh, for music. We thank you, Lord, that, that worship is something that we will do for all of eternity. When we read the book of Revelation and, Lord, we study about the millennial reign and about our time in heaven, that, Lord, there's always a song, that there's a place where you put a new song on our heart and that we sing that song and we participate in worshiping you. And, Lord Jesus, there is a power in worshiping you through song and spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would just release that power in our lives, Lord God. Father, I pray that, that, that it would be Christian um, music, that it would be a, a, a music that would draw us and bring us closer to you, that we would pour into our cars, into our head, into our rooms, into our iPods and our headphones. And Lord, that we would worship you as we sing songs and, and as we, we use the power of music and of worship that's biblical, that's laid out for us in the word of God of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Jesus, you told us that in the New Testament, you told us in the gospel of John, that the father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus has always remembered what you said. I, I, I asked myself as if the father was circling right now, would he find me worshiping in spirit and in truth? And I always pray that he would. And I pray that, Lord, for each one of us, that that he would find us as a church, as a people, worshiping you from our hearts and in spirit and in truth. We worship you. We we come together as, as a body of believers to say that you're a good, good father. And we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.